everyone. Welcome to Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. Want to tell you about Locked On NBA on Fridays. Adam Mares, who you may remember from such shows as this one back when it was good, alongside Nick from Locked On Mavericks. They power rank the week that was in the NBA. Get Adam's thoughts on all things NBA. You, you love Adam. You know you love everyone loves Adam. So check out Locked On NBA on Fridays with Adam Mares and Nick Engstadt from Locked On Mavericks. On today's show, we're continuing our Pacific Division coverage. So getting you set for the season, getting you an idea of what the other teams look like. I talked to Brendan Clean from Locked On Suns. I talked to Greg Wissinger from the Kings Herald. And I talked to William Updike from Locked On Clippers. We're going to give you coverage of those three teams today to send you into your weekend. Let's get started with Brendan Clean from Locked On Suns and where the Suns are at going into this season. Brendan Clean. From Locked On Suns joins me, Brendan. How are you? I'm doing great. It's uh, I'm ready for basketball. It's it's getting close, but I, I need it to uh, get a little closer. Are you? Is it been long enough since the the Sun season ended? I would figure that you'd be like, "Are you kidding me? We just got done." Well, there's a funny thing when you're the team that you cover loses the finals. Is you're kind of ready to to try it again? I think. Uh, Maybe more so than like the teams that didn't ever have a chance. I don't know. I don't know if that's how every Suns fan feels, but that's at least how I feel. I'm ready to see if they can kind of, you know, do it again. So I'm doing win totals breakdowns, which means I'm starting like deep dive research on every single team. And the Suns are fascinating to me because the the high level resume and one of the reasons that I like them in every series except the Nuggets series was uh, because they were so good versus the great teams last year. Like they were absolutely the top team by a pretty wide margin via cleaning glasses metric versus the top 10 teams uh, in net in point differential. So like versus the best teams, they absolutely killed it. They were a little worse relative to the other top teams in performance versus under 500 teams. What's yeah. interesting there is it basically says that the Suns were able to go toe-to-toe with any of the top teams and beat them. And so it makes a lot of sense that they make the finals. I think one of the concerns I have is with the Suns is what happens if they are, again, a little bit inconsistent versus the bad teams. And then on top of it, the injury luck last year was really fortunate. If that combined with the fatigue factor coming off of the finals run combines, are you worried at all about this team maybe regressing a little bit? I'm actually not. And, and so in the regular season, obviously, you know, postseason is a different category. But if you're talking about, you know, can they push for a top seed in the West? You know, they're somewhere around 51 and a half, 52 and a half, depending on where you look. I think that's reasonable. I think the injury thing to me is 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 one a, a and that's obvious because they were super duper healthy. And it was especially an outlier last year in a season where not a lot of teams were. They did have, I think, two cancellations during the COVID uh, due to COVID. And that was pretty normal. They didn't have a big injury. They didn't have a Devin Booker or Chris Paul major absence. I think Booker missed four or five games. So all of that said, if something like that were to happen, of course, they are so they're built around, you know, they're two stars. If either one of those guys goes out, you're you're working. Um, As far as the other stuff goes, though, I think I don't expect them to worry to, to struggle as much against some of those worst teams, because I think some of that was. Uh, chemist, you know, building chemistry, having Chris Paul join in a very small, short off season. And the other part that I think, you know, you could look at as a, a way to beat the worst teams more consistently, or just to feel better about them in general is they're deeper this season. I think, um, they're going to be relying on maybe 
guys that are are technically less proven. If you're thinking, you know, maybe Jalen Smith might have to play a little bit more their first round pick last season. Abdul Nader may have to play a little bit more, but the reality is their veterans were not very good last year. So Frank Kaminsky, he was fine, you know, as a regular season guy, he will have to play less with the addition of JaVale McGee, Etwan Moore, Langston Galloway. These guys are gone. They've been replaced with probably more Cameron Payne minutes and uh, Alfred Payton, you know, take him or leave him. I hope that I, he doesn't have to play too much, but <laughs> overall you are, you're looking at a team that I do just think is deeper and has itself figured out way more than what they were heading into last season. Yeah. I think they know who they were. Um, I, I think in particular, I thought that some of those guys gave them pretty good minutes. So you're kind of banking on some of that. What do you think the Sarich injury means for them, especially with the second unit? Well, it means it means that they don't get to play the same way. I mean, he was a guy that, like, if you're looking at sort of hit, he was the backup center last year. They they signed Damian Jones last season, non guaranteed, cut him. It did not work out. Frank Kaminsky replaces him. He really played a lot of power forward, honestly, during the regular season. Sharich is a very different player than Javale McGee. That's pretty obvious. But I think McGee fills one part of what DeAndre Ayton is good at. One part of what their offense needs. Um, and, and defensively, I think we'll, we'll play pretty similarly to Aiton against most teams, but the offense that Sharich gives you not only as a pick and pop guy, we all think of him as a, a stretch player, but also as a playmaker, also as somebody who has a little bit of a face-up game. He was very inconsistent last year. He did get COVID struggled with that, never really got back to his usual form. And then obviously toward his, his ACL playoffs, but when he's at his best, which he did get to a couple of times, most people really remember the bubble. He's moving the ball. He's, he's, you know, reversing on the perimeter. He's uh, at the elbow, you know, finding cutters or, you know, w- working a two-man game. His two-man game with Chris Paul, when I talk about chemistry, they figured it out right away. So you're going to have a, a little bit of a different look in that second unit. I think McGee, like probably overall, the defense is a little better. The offense is a little worse. Maybe it's not too big of a deal, but I think there will be, um, some discomfort. Their offense won't feel quite as spacious and flowy as it might be, uh, might have been in the past couple of seasons. What are you most confident about with this team next year? That's a great question. Um, I think they'll just be able to run pick and roll offense and be pretty incredible at it again. I mean, I just, again, without, you know, assuming that there will not be any injuries, I just think you have Chris Paul and Devin Booker in. I would I would honestly put Cameron Payne in there as three above average to great pick and roll initiators as scorers and as passers. And in the regular season, you know, that's to me just a recipe for you're going to be able to score with just about anybody. And then you add in obviously the what what Booker is able to do as an isolation score late in the clock, things like that when when there is some bog. Um, I just think that's a recipe for a really good offense. I, I just don't really, I can't imagine a situation with the shooting that they have with the downhill, downhill threat that they have. And then those three playmakers that they wouldn't be a top 10 offense. Yeah, I think that's pretty likely. Um, top 10, I think is completely reasonable. I have some concerns about pain. I loved, I loved his season last year was on it early. It was like, Hey, Cameron Payne looks good. And like, was very excited for him and very happy that this story worked out. I do think that teams start to figure out later in the season and particularly in the playoffs that like, Oh, he only has two options on pick and roll. He either shoots or drives into a pretty wild layup. Oh yeah. 
So like the reads, I think are, are a little bit of a concern there. Yeah. He has um, a long way to go as an in-between scorer and as a passer and, yeah, you know, yeah. but at the same time, he, there is a part of it where it's like, he is 27, but also I think I looked it up and Mikhail Bridges has already played more minutes than him. Yeah. So yeah. it's just, you know, it's hard to know what to expect with his development, but I think you, you have to be optimistic at the, the very high points of what he was able to do last year. Well, and, and reasonable to like level, right? Like they don't need him to be like a high level pick and roll elite you know, playmaker. They just need him to come in and be a, a basically a firebug scorer, which is what yeah. I think he's really good at. Uh, what is your biggest concern for the Suns this season? Well, I think that's where you start to get past the regular season and think about, you know, the postseason, the playoffs. And they're obviously a, pretty much a lock to make the playoffs. And so if you're looking further than that, it's, you know, the probably to, to, to distill it down to the biggest issue that they face in the postseason, it's that they really only had two guys who could create great offense that goes into the pain point you were making. It goes into why Suns fans are, are a little bit worried about DeAndre Ayton. We still haven't seen the extension for him. I think this exact thing has a lot to do with it is who else on this, this roster is going to be able to create good shots for themselves or for their teammates consistently every trip down the floor, be a threat to do that. So I don't feel like anyone else besides Paul and Booker is likely to become that. I, I think if you know, there's there's possibilities that Aiton can develop a little bit more of a of a post game or a face up game enough to be a threat a little bit. I, I think Mikhail Bridges has has shown some of that, but you can't really go into the season feeling like that's going to happen. And so that's that's the real issue. And and every you know other major contender has either two that are better than Paul and Booker or more than two uh, of those types of creators. So the Suns just aren't at that spot right now. How many all-stars will the Phoenix Suns have this season? I would probably set it at one and a half. I think, you know, how much does Paul play and is the, the narrative bump going away enough to make people sort of less excited about him. I do think even as somebody who was able to appreciate his brilliance every night, I, I think it got overblown a little bit. So if that goes away and people get bored of it and, and everything else, I, I could see him not making it and it might just be Booker. I think they both could make it. I don't see that Aiton or, or Bridges would, would get to that level. I think Suns fans will be upset because they, they think that Aiton is going to be that guy. I just, I don't think defense gets valued in all-star teams all that much, unless you're the very, very best. And I don't think his offense is going to be there. Yeah, it sounds about right. Because this is a Nuggets podcast, I did want to ask you, uh, are you of the opinion that the Suns simply have all the answers for the Nuggets or that the Nuggets <laughs> injury situation created the mismatch that led to this week? I think it was, yeah. It, the, the Murray thing, I mean, everybody that covers or follows either of these teams know that Jamal Murray just completely decimates the Phoenix Suns. So I think that's a pretty huge elephant in the room when you're talking about that series and that uh, you know, matchup going forward. I will say it wasn't just Murray, though. To me, it was also um, the fact that Michael Porter Jr. was dealing with whatever physically that he was dealing with with the back. He was not himself. If if any of those components are different, I think you're talking about a more competitive series. I will say, though, that DeAndre Ayton, I do think like. The, mostly because, look, Joker got his numbers and was humongously impactful but it was the ability to, to guard him without fouling that I do think is pretty promising. If you're just thinking long-term, those are two guys who are going to have to match up. I feel like Aiton showed that he can at least hold his own, not get into foul trouble and not get, you know, seriously killed. You know, we didn't see 
huge, huge nights for the offense as a whole necessarily um, for Denver in a way that really scared the sun. So I think that's good, but yeah, it's going to be a, a completely different matchup if these teams were to face each other again in the postseason. Now that my co-host Adam isn't here, I can say that, look, you know, Jokic can only be limited so much, but Jokic was pretty upfront about like, yeah, I think DeAndre Aiden does a great job on me and just not having to double. Like if you don't have to double, you can stay home, especially this is where the lack of guards really came through. We talked about this a lot on the show about the lack of guards. If you're going to beat the Suns, you got to get them in rotation. They're too good defensively otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so without pick and roll point guard, that, that meant a lot. But I hope we get to see it again. I think it'd be really interesting to see these two teams uh, at full strength. That's Brendan Clean from Locked On Suns. Brendan, thanks for coming on. Thank you. That's Brendan Clean from Locked On Suns. My thanks to him for joining me on Locked On Nuggets. You know, guys, this weekend, the Broncos kick off the 2021-22 season. And there's no telling what's going to happen. Will they disappoint immediately or will it take a little while before they let everyone down? Either way, if you want to get your action and you want to do it at Bet On. Line. Bet online is your number one spot for all pro and college football action this season. You can get the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NBA NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device using promo code LOCKED ON to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, and boxing. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. We're also brought to you today by Direct TV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you got your neighbor's best friend log in for all the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. No more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. Get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. We'll be right back on Locked On. here on Locked On Nuggets. Thanks for making this part of your day. Continuing our coverage of the Pacific Division as we wrap it up this week, head into your weekend. I've known Greg Wessinger for a good long time from various blogs that he's been on. He is with the Kings Herald these days, an absolutely phenomenal local site for a team that really has better fans, honestly, than it kind of deserves most of the time. Greg's the managing editor at the Kings Herald. They have great t-shirts, not better than D-lines, but great t-shirts all the same. He's also a freelancer for Sacramento B. You can follow him on Twitter at GWIS. Here's Greg Wissinger to tell us about the Kangs on Locked on Nuggets. All right, Greg, I need to know on a scale of one to uh, the post our test era how badly are the kings gonna kings this season um 
well, that's a tricky one to put on a scale because I mean, Kangs can mean so many different things as far as levels of badness, but I think it's going to be a pretty high Kangs factor uh, unless they can somehow magically pull off the big trade that they seem to want to, but not really have the pieces for. Um, outside of that, it, it seems like it's shaping up to be another very Kang season where they didn't really make a notable upgrade of the roster. So they're just kind of running it back, didn't change coaching, still running it back and somehow expecting it to go a lot better. I'm unimpressed with Luke Walton. Everybody's pretty unimpressed with Luke Walton. And that's before you get to all the off court stuff. Um, what is your biggest on court complaint with Walton? If you have one. I mean, I've got a lot of complaints with Walton. <laughs> um, I, my biggest thing is I just don't know that he does anything to elevate the people on his team or put them in a position to succeed. Um, you know, he came in after the Dave Yeager season where they were playing fast and catching people off guard and playing pretty well and slowed things back down. And the, the team is kind of built to run fast, but they don't run fast. And they have a couple of really, really bad defenders like Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley but they run a system where they switch everything, which makes it really easy to expose your worst defenders. So it just doesn't do a whole lot that I see to put guys in positions to maximize who they are. The roster is very confusing to me. Uh, Like I think Davion Mitchell, even if I think that he went high, I don't tend to criticize those moves because I've learned in time that like, look, your draft board is your draft board. And you got to trust it. And if you, if your draft board says Davion Mitchell is the guy in the spot, that's who you take. And, you know, certainly like I had heard the Kings attached to Franz Wagner and Alfred Shingoon and was expecting them to take one of those two guys. And with how, I mean, look, Wagner, it's, you know, summer league, but not, not looking awesome for the Orlando magic. Though I think they'll be fine because they got Suggs. Um, but the fact that you've got Halliburton and Fox and Mitchell, how does this project out over the next couple of years? Like, wh- how does this shake out, do you think? And that's the big question, right? Because I'm, I'm with you. I've always said, take the best player available, and then a team takes who they presumably say is the best player available, and it doesn't make sense if you get mad at it. So, it, I mean, it's one of those things where it, it seems like there's got to be some sort of roster move coming, but they seem also pretty locked in on keeping both Fox and Halliburton. So it's like, okay, you drafted an older rookie, a rookie who doesn't need a lot of years to develop, at least in theory, to be a backup. And you, you could run some three-guard lineups. I mean, Halliburton's got the size and wingspan and, and disruptive abilities that he could be okay on defense, but unless he bulks up in the next year or two, I, I don't see him playing a lot of effective defense at the three. So I don't see how that's going to work. I mean, Obviously, there's a lot of minutes you can rotate guys in and out, but at the end of the day, someone's not starting, someone's not finishing games, and I don't know if that is maximizing your value with the night. Would you have rather they taken bad deals and moved healed and or Bagley, because Bagley was very obviously on the block? Um, Would you have rather they taken bad deals and at least done something to – have shaken their roster up and not just have these two guys that clearly aren't going to be here long-term on the roster or are you, or is it still in the matter of no, they can't afford to not get value back because they can't replace that with adequate talent. 
And that's the difficult part that the, for the Kings is that they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't, that yeah. they need talent. They can't afford to give away, like particularly with Buddy Heald. He, for all his faults, he has a lot of value in a certain role, you know, as a volume three-point shooter. He's one of the best in the league at that. He just has a lot of other issues. But if you lose him for a, a couple bad contracts, that's a talent downgrade that the Kings can't really afford to do since they seem dead set on doing whatever it takes to make the playoffs. You know, they're not trying to tank. They're not trying to tear it down. They're trying to build on the fly. And it's difficult to do that if you're not getting talent back. But at the same time, I don't know that they're necessarily improving anyone's value by continuing to roll out guys who obviously are not long-term pieces and obviously are, are not really a fit for where this team is going. So I don't think there's an easy way out. I personally would have preferred to see at least one of those two guys be dealt at this point, even if it wasn't for a great return. Just, again, um, I know what this team can do as currently constructed because it's more or less what we saw at the end of last year. So. There's a few minor adjustments, but there hasn't been enough of a change to expect that anything could truly be better. I am correct that Alvin Gentry is still associate head coach. Yes. Correct. Okay. I try and like, I have said, I've taken a position that I think either the Wolves or the Kings are going to surprise people this season. They are the most obvious candidates. I don't think Houston is anywhere near ready. Um, Oklahoma City will actively, you know, sabotage that if they were too good. And I think the other candidates, I'm not sold on the Pelicans because of their chemistry, even with Zion. However, let's say that three weeks into the season, Walton gets canned. Alvin Gentry takes over. They trade Marvin Bagley. Healed, I think, can stay. They just they get rid of the, the, the Bagley tension, even though they don't get anything good back. I still kind of look at this roster and go, look, De'Aaron's so good. And Barnes is a really good floor raiser. I actually kind of like the Harkless signing. Davion's got upside. Like, it, it, there's a path this could be okay, but they need to change the vibe, it feels like to me more than even like the roster, I don't think is good. Like there's a lot of names on that roster that I go like, oof, I don't know. But like, I feel like a, a cascade of about three moves and they're not that far away from being fun and watchable again, but they just seem very, they seem so stuck that they can't go anywhere. And so they're just continuing to kind of broil in a stew of their own malfeasance. Am I wrong on this? No, I, and I think you're right that there's enough pieces there where you could see how it could all come together, right? And I think part of the the Mitchell pick is that they're kind of hoping that he's got that that leadership and that fire to maybe push some guys further because he's a, a little bit more of an a-hole compared to like Fox and Halliburton who are a little bit more happy-go-lucky. Um, and that's where I think it was really baffling to me that they did keep Walton because I think that if they had gone out and gotten a different coach, someone who could, you know, light a spark or, or bring a different energy. I think that there is enough talent there that again, like I said, not that they'd be a good team, but that they could surprise some people and be a lot better than people think. Um, I think it could still happen. And yeah, I mean, if they get rid of Bagley, if they end up, you know, Canning Walton and, and you know, maybe Gentry just has, you know, a, enough of a different voice to get them excited. It, it could happen. It, it's not out of the realm of possibility. The Kings just have a habit 
for years now of shooting themselves in the foot every time things start to go good. I mean, they would have a, a couple of games where they would beat some really good teams last season, and then they'd go on a nine-game losing streak right at the part of their schedule they should have been winning. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's not that the team is completely devoid of talent. It's just that it's hard to see where that spark is going to come from that turns things up to the next level, unless it's just counting on Fox making another huge step forward or Halliburton taking a big step forward. You know, they, they do have some nice complimentary pieces. Like I said, Buddy Hill is a great volume shooter if that's all you're asking him to do. Uh, yeah, Harrison Barnes is really good at what he does. He, he's not going to take a lot off the table. You know, jack of all trades. Rashawn Holmes is a really, really solid two-way big man. So they have some nice pieces. It's just, yeah, it's kind of a weird roster, and it's hard to see what would inspire them to suddenly be better than they were last year. Uh, because this is a Nuggets podcast, I will ask you, the Kings play the Nuggets four times, which is four times for Michael Malone's blood pressure to go absolutely through <laughs> the roof. What is your prediction for how many times the Kings will beat the Nuggets this season after their success against them last year? Well, I was going to say, I mean, based on how things went last year, I mean, we got to predict four and oh, right? <laughs> it was like the one team they could show up against for no clear reason. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I cannot explain why the Kings had so much success against the Nuggets, but uh, as a Kings fan who actually lives in Colorado, it really made uh, the workplace really enjoyable for me you know, after <laughs> each of those games. So I'm hoping it goes the same way. <laughs> um, do you still harbor the attachment to Malone that I think a lot of Kings fans do? I don't, Nuggets fans are always kind of surprised by this because they didn't really pay attention to Malone before he got to Denver. Um, but my like every Kings fan I've talked to. And like sometimes I'll tweet things and sacrifice like I'll tweet something about Malone, like a quote or something, and I'll just get like a random Sacramento fan that's just like, man, we miss him out in Sacramento. It makes me so sad. I, I do. I absolutely love Michael Malone. And I remain convinced to this day that the Kings would not be in year 15 of a playoff drought if they'd kept him. Wow. It's not to say that the core of cousins and Rudy Gay and Isaiah Thomas was going to win the championship or anything like that, but there was enough there and they were bought in under him. And when they fired Malone, it just pulled the rug out of all of their momentum. And yeah, I, I will never fully be over that until, <laughs> until the day that the Kings are actually like respectable and good again. I, don't know. I hope that comes around for you, Greg. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Greg for joining me. Well, we're going to take another break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the Clippers, who I know all of you love so much. Before we do that, this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock the parts you need. I went into one of those stores the other day and I had just this one part that I thought would definitely be available. I didn't even think there was a chance it wouldn't be. Sure enough, it wasn't there, but it was at rockauto.com. You can save time and money. Oftentimes, you're going to get charged more at these big box stores, but rockauto.com's prices are reliably low for everybody. It's a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Go explore their easy-to-use website today and find the solution for your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto. Com. We're also brought to you by Built Bar. That's right, Built Bar. I don't know if I've told you about Built Bar before, but it's a really good protein bar. It's the best protein bar. And they've got all these different flavors 
like raspberry and double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream, German chocolate. If you haven't tried them all, you can get a mix box where you get two of each of the nine. Most of them have 17 to 18 grams of protein. They've got only four to five grams of sugar and only four to five grams of net carbs. Go to built.com and use promo code locked on and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code locked on for 15% off at built.com. We'll be right back on locked on. Final segment here on Locked On Nuggets. Thanks for making this part of your day and your weekend. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Uh, William Updike, who is fantastic for Locked On Clips, was kind enough to join me to talk about the Clippers. Uh, had some kind things to say about the Nuggets and the rivalry that exists between the two teams. Uh, he echoed a lot of what I think about the Clippers this season in terms of they're probably going to be better than people expect, but still probably not a contender. It's a team in an interesting spot with no Kawhi Leonard, and we talked about that right off the top. Here's William Updike from Locked On Clippers. All right, man. So I have, I'll start with this question because nobody actually has an answer. Will Kawhi Leonard play this season? Man, I have to be honest. I'm like, I'm on the pessimist side and I'm just not seeing it considering how late this, the injury happened. Uh, although we don't know exactly when surgery occurred. Uh, there's kind of like some tinfoil hat theories about when it occurred and the Kawhi has been seen without a brace. Uh, versus the amount of time it took the team to announce it. So I'm not seeing him ready like pre-playoffs. Uh, and, I, you know, playoffs to me even seems a little optimistic with how cautious he is. Uh, but, I mean, I guess you never know. I mean, it's Kawhi. I, not exactly a guy that I expect to be like rushing back from injury. That doesn't not, – not how the man operates. I do like that how it's like he's been spotted without a brace and there were rumors. He's like Batman. Like nobody oh. knows what's happening. And it's just like, like the criminals are just scared at night of him. And, and it's pretty wild. Um, I am of the opinion that this team will still be really good, even without um, Kawhi. I think that last year they found something by rallying around Paul George. Once certain members of the locker room were gone, um, it seems like that the, the team kind of got into a place where they actually backed Paul George and that was significant. PG does tend to like to pick his spots. Uh, I talked to him about this for a piece when he was with OKC that he likes to go into a game and feel it out. And if they're paying attention to other things, he steps in and does like a flurry. And then when they adjust to him, he steps back and the, the attention that he's drawn opens up everybody else. He's going to have to be a little bit more consistent this year. He's going to have to carry them a little bit more. Did he show you enough last year to believe that he can actually carry the team? Maybe not for 82, but for 70 ish games. Yeah. I mean, I, I think definitely look, this team got as far as it's ever gotten last year. Uh, and I did not think that would happen losing Kawhi Leonard in Utah. So, uh, or at, at versus Utah. So I think he's definitely capable of it. Look, the thing that I'm optimistic about for Paul George this year is he has a much more defined role Look, when things get a little clunky with Kawhi and Paul George, it's generally because they're doing sort of a give and go thing. And Paul George, when he's playing with Kawhi, tends to defer a little bit more because he knows that he's like the 1B or, or whatever. I think with a clearer role and like the full keys to the offense, 
I think that we could like this is going to be Paul George's best run if he ever wants to make another run at the at the MVP like he did that last year in OKC. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but I mean, like if it's going to happen, man, it's got to be this year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's reasonable. I think it's absolutely reasonable to, to think that because his narrative emphasis will be so good, right? Like if he carries the Clippers to 50 wins and he puts up a Paul George like stat line everyone's going to be like, look what he's done. Like, just look at what he's, no Kawhi. And he carried. So I I think he's absolutely in the MVP conversation. I haven't bet him. One of the reasons I will say I haven't bet him is, you know, he's been a guy that's also, I think, kept an eye out for keeping himself fresh for the the postseason. I don't expect Ty Lue to necessarily be like, Hey, we're going to need you to play as many games as humanly possible here. So uh, that is kind of my only concern is that, you know, what if he misses a handful of games just to like rest manage or whatever else? Are you expecting him to kind of go? I know that they, he and Kawhi both played a high number last year under a pretty difficult schedule, but are you expecting him to load manage all this season? Uh, I mean, I think to a certain extent, look, I, I don't think this team is going to be worried where they slot in the playoffs. So like seeding, it's just not going to be something that's of concern to them. Uh, it's definitely going to be about keeping Paul George fresh. And I mean, it's difficult to say, right? Like, I don't know. We don't really have the luxury to load manage like we did in previous seasons because this team is going to live or die uh, with what they're able to produce when Paul George is either on the bench or out of the game completely. And they do have some versatility and they did run everybody back last year uh, who made that Western conference uh, push and then made a, made a little addition. So I don't know. I, I think that there's less room for error this year. Like the margins have just gotten a lot slimmer. Uh, that being said, though, like they're not going to play around with a with Paul George. This is a house money year. Like whatever we can do this year, uh, it, you know, it's essentially going to be a win if they make the playoffs and you know get out of the first round. Uh, it's it, as long as they're developing guys around Paul George to make this team a contender. You know, when Kawhi returns, I I, I think it's a win of a year for me. I have to kind of have a high level of confidence in the offense. I mean, they were so good offensively last year, especially with shooting and they're still going to have shooters. Uh, if there is a weakness on this team, does it like Kawhi is not the high level, like elite top end DPOY guy that he was a few years ago. Um, Ibaka, his health is obviously a little bit of, I think it was a concern along with the age, but they do have Zubach and Morris can play small ball five and they can switch. Um, I guess here's a question is like, do you worry more about the offense or the defense falling off a little bit without Kawhi? If there's a weakness on this team, what do you think it is? I think it's definitely going to be the defense. And I think we saw the team try to address that with the Bledsoe addition. Uh, Pat was a great defender. I, I thought he, I thought he was phenomenal in the playoffs, but the availability was just going to be an issue in, in a season where you're already down one star. Uh, so that was an attempt Adding Winslow, definitely another attempt. Uh, so I, I don't know. I like I, I, the defense is definitely going to be an issue. Look, this team to me has sort of been underwhelming defensively, given the personnel in the past. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's nothing new. It's it's definitely been a long time criticism. And another thing that's like not really helping it is like we know. I, I mean, from a from his own admission, that Ty Lu is like focuses more on getting the defense ready for the playoffs. And it's not necessarily like a season long uh, commitment and he's going to be changing schemes. And 
I, I don't even think we're going to see that much small ball throughout the regular season uh, yeah. if things go the same way as we did last year, because I just don't know that you want Morris and Batum to kind of to have to do that through an 82 game season. I, I don't know that it's beneficial at that point if you do end up, you know, dragging that team into a, a decent seat in the playoffs. Man was obviously really impressive last year. Is there another level that you think he can get to and, and what does he need to work on to make that happen? I think there's another level that he can get to. I think the defense needs to be consistent. It's been kind of up and down. I like his size and athleticism. I like, I definitely think that's a plus for him on that end of the floor, the shooting, like the, the volume is going to increase this year. There's, there's no way around it. Uh, he did shoot really well from three, like 42%, but we're talking under two attempts a game. Uh, it's, it, uh, he's going to have a much heavier workload, but it's going to depend too on the lineups around him. Like, if he is staggered mostly with the bench unit, uh, I think that, you know, offensively he, he'll be able to take a step, but like defensively, that's not going to grow him really that much as a player. I don't believe. Uh, so I think there's another level there. There is huge optimism from the fan base. And like, I, I think that what he did in the playoffs is sustainable. Uh, but it's, it's another thing. Like I, I got to see it. Given the history between the Nuggets and the Clippers, and given that you're playing with house money, essentially, if Kawhi misses the entire season, would you want to see the Clippers face the Nuggets in a playoff series or not? I mean, like, from a Clippers fan perspective, that's a yeah. dangerous team. It wouldn't be my, like, favorite. But as a basketball fan perspective, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, I would love to watch those two teams go up against each other. I was so bummed that these two teams were in a Western Conference final against each other with a fully healthy Nuggets squad. Like, there is, like, I, I don't feel animosity towards the Nuggets. Like, I, I, it's, there's a competitiveness for sure, and the way we went out sucked. But that, you know, like, that's all credit due to the Nuggets as well as, like, it, I feel like people talk about the collapse too much. I mean, it's also, uh, it, it was also just a brilliant series by the Nuggets. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't want to see them as a Clippers fan, but as a, like a basketball fan in general, I mean, like, yeah, give me seven games of that. Give me however many games those two guys can, those two teams can go. Like, let's do it. That's a great answer. That's a good way to ingratiate yourself with the Nuggets fans listening to the <laughs> podcast. All right. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to wrap it up for Locked On Nuggets for Friday. Thanks for joining me, everybody. Hope you guys have a great week. We'll be back next week with four episodes. We're going to start talking about the Southwest Division next week. Excited for that conversation. Adam and I will be back to start off your week. Uh, we'll have several episodes. I'm going to try and find somebody else for Denver Dome to battle because I don't know if I can find anybody to fight with me quite like Ryan Blackburn. So, but I'll be uh, sure to do that. If you got suggestions for who should be next in the Denver Dome, make sure to hit me up on Twitter at HP Basketball. You can follow the show at Locked on Nuggets. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, follow on Spotify. That would be a big help. Uh, you can check us out on the Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Check all that out. You can find our live show on Wednesdays on 9 News in Denver. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Great start to your week. We'll talk to you guys again on Monday with another edition of Locked on Nuggets. Thanks for joining us.